ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Welcome back to another edition of Leader Ring Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenis, with my co-host, 100, Amilcar. How you doing, brother? I'm good, Dave. You know, it's the first day of winter, and couldn't think of a better way to kick off winter with uh, than an acting show. So, got a lot to talk about today. You know, waking up early in the morning today. Actually, you woke me up and called me super early, which was, I was like, what the hell, Milka? It's got to be important. So I answered it, answered the phone, right? Then I jump in the shower, get ready, head to work, and it's just pure fog over here in the valley. And it's been yeah. like that all freaking day. Just thick, thick fog. You know, you could barely see five feet ahead of you uh, because of the fog and driving, driving to work, you know, uh, it's going, actually going the speed limit, right? But I tell you what, there is no fog when it comes down to Canelo Alvarez after Saturday night, him dismantling uh, Callum Smith. Excuse me. What a performance from him. Um, immediately after that fight, we'll definitely get into the breakdown of what Canelo did. How come he looked so phenomenal? Against a very game and very good. Probably one of the best and that, in that weight division, 168, Callum Smith. But, you know, after that fight, Immediately, you had the barrage of guys coming on uh, social media and just trashing Kellen Smith. Like, oh, he's a bum and he's this and he's that. He's a nobody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was so thrown back. I was just like, this is crazy. We are now entering an area where no matter what Canelo does right now, Milcar, he will never get credit for. Yeah, I mean, early on, even up until recently, like, I always gave Canelo credit for being talented, but always right. mentioned the fact that really his most spectacular wins have not really been against the best people in a weight class. So, you know, think about his great knockouts. James Kirkland, he wasn't the best in his weight class, right? right. Then you have guys like, uh, obviously, Amir Khan. He wasn't the best in his weight class, right? No, no. Guys like Rocky Fielding, he wasn't the best in his weight class. Obviously, no. Kovalev, he wasn't the best in his weight class. But that's all history now because Canelo just took on the best 168-pounder and beat him up for 12 rounds. Well, let's clear this up. The best 168-pounder that had a title because some would argue that the best 168 fighter out there right now in that division would have right. to be David Benavides, but he doesn't have a title. Well, I used to think that too, but you know, being the best at 168 pounds means you have to weigh in at 168 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> he lost his title on the scale, so I would actually say that he's the best 169 or 170 pounder at hmm. the moment. Hmm. You know that what that's what happens, and that's what's going to cost you about criticism when you do miss weight. And let's just point it out: he's missed weight one time. 
Just one time. Yep. But it's all that that's all that it takes there, Milkar, is to miss it one time. And you know what? Fans are gonna come down on you pretty hard because you're supposed to be a professional every time out. You know, uh, whether it was the COVID nineteen pandemic that's preventing him to be on track of his weight, or if it's anything else, life issue, it doesn't matter. Because when it comes to fight night and on that scale, guess what? You need to be prepared and be ready to go. All that weight that your campaign, right? Yeah. And I'm a big fan of David Benavides. I I think he's a great guy. I love this story. You know, right. being a really overweight kid and becoming a champion at 168 pounds. <laughs> and I don't fault people for, you know, dabbling into what are classified as illicit drugs. Because at the end of the day, you know, we all drink beer from time to time. We all drink wine from time to time. Oh, you know? we certainly do. We certainly I mean, do. <laughs> the, uh, even the occasional uh, mojito or, or you know, other other drink. Right. And guess what? He decided to sniff a little Coke. Okay, I'm not going to knock him well, for that. He wanted to go to Tahoe. He wanted to go Lake Tahoe and try out those ski slopes. Right. <laughs> he's, back, he's back on track. I remember when Calzaghi, a great 168-pounder, was mm. taking heat for that. See, what a lot right. of people don't realize about boxing is that in other sports, you can go out drinking multiple times a week. You can go out drinking before your big your big uh, game, whatever the case may be. You can't do that in boxing. No. Live a Spartan lifestyle. You, you can't eat what you want to eat. You can't drink. So a lot of guys will actually overindulge or indulge in certain things, whether it's food or whether it's drugs right after long amateur and pro careers and it happens so i'm not knocking him for that but right. what i would like to see him do is to make weight he's got to make weight because i think he should be the wbc champion but unfortunately for him right now that person is saul canelo alvarez that is the name right now that everybody's looking at and uh everybody's saying hey this is the best 168 out there that's looming around and possibly should be able and could be able to dominate the 168 landscape uh really quick let's say what's up to the fellas that have joined us here in the chat room on leaving the ring we got savagely boxing my mind chicano prophet que paso jesus m we also have uh, Boxing After Dark. John, que paso, brother? How you doing? Nado, que onda? Nopal, que paso? Uh, A-Rod, A-Rod, A-Rod. There you are, my brand. All right, guys. Um, We'll definitely get in some questions here on Elite and Ring. But let's get down to the breakdown. What did Canelo Alvarez do to shut out a very good game finder like uh, Callum Smith, who was 6'3 and a half, who went out there and obviously we thought he was going to be far the biggest test for Canelo, you know, because of the fact that when he moved up to 175, it could be easily argued that Kovala was a bit drained and possibly wars have finally caught up with Kovala, okay? But... I don't know about you guys. I didn't see a fluke here with Canelo. I thought Canelo was going to have some problems, but I did say that I found it really hard that Canelo could stop him because, again, the whole campaigning of that Canelo is this power puncher. It's more of a mirage for me, okay? But here's the thing, though, that credits, that gives... gives the fact her ice cream, and here she is just... That gives... Uh, oh, that threw me off there for a moment. <laughs> Here's the thing that I like what, about the fact that Canelo isn't a power puncher, okay, uh, is the fact that he trains for 12 rounds, 
all the way down. That whole stretch, he's looking to do 12 rounds of boxing, okay? So you know his condition's right there. It's ready there to go, okay? Also, he puts his punches together. Not only does he put punches together, he throws in varieties of different punches. So all of that tells me there that he knows he's not a big power puncher, but if the if the KO comes, it's going to come. Why do I say it's a good thing, Amilcar? I'll tell you why. Because when guys fall in, with, fall in love with their power, they stop the most important thing that got them to that point, which is what? Boxing. Don't see that happening with Canelo anytime soon because I don't see Canelo knocking out top-level guys. I mean, Kellum Smith, you got to admit, he's a top-level guy at 168. If he was anybody else, if it was Fieldings, of course, he would have stopped them. But this was Kellum Smith. I didn't see that happening. And guess what? It did go all the way down, down the stretch, 12 rounds of boxing. I like what Canelo did. I like the pressure he put on Kellum Smith. I like the fact that he was able to see everything Kellum Smith did. And he didn't wait for Kellum Smith, which I thought that he might have... Might have been the wrong thing to do. That's why I was giving Kellen Smith a little bit more credit because I thought Kellen Smith was going to force him to force the lead in the dance. And guess what? Man, Canelo's covering all corners of the ring with his style now. He knows how to move forward. He knows how to cut off the ring. He knows how to counter punch. He knows how to jab. He knows when to attack and when to back off. He's really honestly covering everything in the category of boxing that you need to do in your fundamentals. And you saw it on Saturday night against Callum Smith. Callum Smith couldn't answer him, even with an uppercut, which I was recommending, that when Canelo comes in close, because he's so short, you could catch him with the uppercut. He did catch him a few times, but you know what? Canelo just didn't crowd his punches. He stayed just in perfect range to land his jab, his right hand, and a nice, beautiful left hook occasionally here and there. Callum Smith just looked really confused, Milkar. Yeah, he did. Uh, first off, sorry about that earlier. I oh, no worries. To, to join the chat and uh my man jimmy door came on in the background shout out jimmy <laughs> door you guys need to check out his show i love it anyways yeah you know i don't know where i stand on canelo being a power puncher i think it's difficult to say that he's not a power puncher I, but i would you know what let's i would say maybe boxer puncher boxer um, puncher yes i agree puncher, but power puncher not, has to rely on his power because Guys like Deontay Wilder are nothing if they don't have their power. Um, I think Canelo showed a lot this fight. In fact, he accentuated <laughs> stuff in past fights. You know, the main thing he did to me at first was kind of just destroy Callum Smith's jab. Um, yeah, he did. He, he did that by out-jabbing him and also by using excellent feints. I mean, he Beautiful had him feints. guessing. Yes. Callum Smith didn't want to throw the jab. Canelo was constantly fainting, and because he has that quick hand speed, Callum Smith was reluctant to throw the jab, and it got to the point where Canelo started to out-jab Callum Smith. I said before the fight that Callum Smith's only real shot to get a victory here was to kind of stink it out and pull an AJ, you know, cue to Barry White, a lot of a lot of huggy bear, you know, hugging on the inside and jabbing on the outside, and anytime. There's an inside exchange. Just avoid it. You see, right? Callum is, is not the, the, the worst uh, inside fighter. Obviously, he can inside fight. But he struggles with short guys with good center of gravity who have good hand speed and can rough them up on the middle. I'm talking about John Ryder, and I'm talking about Canelo Alvarez. Um, against guys six foot plus, yeah, he'll bang to the body and go to work. Uh, but what happens is guys like 
because Canelo, and there's very few guys like Canelo, can faint, can get under his jab, and can rip him to the body. And the other thing, too, I mean, he was just slipping and sliding in there on defense. It was actually quite remarkable the way he fought defensively. I was I was actually more impressed by Canelo's defense and his fainting than probably by anything else. It was it was a master class in feints and in defensive uh work, especially in terms of slipping and rolling with shots. And I'll also, tell you what carrying punches too. He, he yes. the whole article defensively. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. You know, I was just gonna bring uh, uh, what's hey, G Funk? What's up, brother? How you doing? Arrogant boxing, que pasó? Thanks for joining us here in the chat room. You know what? The one thing that Canelo didn't do very often, and we thought that that's one of the uh, key elements that he was going to bring Saturday night against Callum Smith, being six three and a half, was attack that body a lot. Notice that he really even did that because he was being successful over the top of how he was closing that distance, how he nummified Kellen Smith's jab. And he also, he really had Kellen Smith second-guessing himself throughout the whole fight, you know. Kellen Smith, I thought he had some success, and I thought that he was picking it up in those, uh, you know, third and fourth round. But after that, you know, when Canelo saw, you know what, he's hesitant of attacking me or even setting something up. I could put the I could put the the pressure a bit more, and he did that, and it was just beautiful in how he performed. You know uh, how he shut down Callum Smith. Yeah, I mean he shut him down. You know, cue to Onyx. You know, it's one of my favorite rap groups growing up. He absolutely shut him down, and there really wasn't anything Callum Smith could do about it after we got into like the third or fourth. By the fifth round, I'm like, this fight's over. Callum Smith is not going to be able to do anything. Canelo's got his number. He's very wary. But one thing I will say about Callum Smith, this guy took the fight on four weeks' notice, and that was a super tough uh, performance. I mean, after the fight, you could see his bicep literally bulging out of his arm. Right. And that that's like a torn bicep. You know, it, it that... that that muscle's torn. That was a severe injury. And the fact that he could fight like that and not go down, you know, uh, his corner wanted to stop the fight. He demanded to see the 12th round. And you may say that, oh, that's kind of bad for his career moving forward. Maybe he took a little bit too much punishment. But what I would say is that he put up a gutsy performance. And, you know, for all these, like, know-nothing casuals and fanboy uh, hardcore fans, you know, guys who are fans of people like Triple G and others and can't see things clearly, like, you got to go fuck yourself if you're going to say that Callum Smith was not a top 168-pounder. If you don't have him at number one, you better have him at number two. Number two. Well, there you go. You heard the audience in the background applauding you on that one because I gotta, I have to definitely <laughs> agree with you. Um, yeah, you know, uh, check out the prophet. Callum showed the heart for sure. You know, that bicep obviously was a big play on his part uh, into, you know, uh, uh, of trying to implicate his plan on Saturday night. How is, uh, you know, I mean, he said his arm was broken. I don't know if it was broke because of what Canelo was doing or maybe a punch he threw, Callum Smith, and landing in an awkward way, did he end up damaging it? But you know what? 
the thing is that Canelo caught on to it right away. That shows you that he has a very keen eye on what's in front of him and also what's happening. And he showed. He attacked, he attacked, and he attacked. Kellen Smith didn't have any answers to it. Now, I also said on the show last week, the only way I did see a stop is, is if his corner decided to say, let's wave it off. You're not going to get anything accomplished with Canelo Alvarez. Let's just move forward. It almost looked that close in the ninth round to Milcar. It looked that close that his quarter were probably going to throw in the, the white flag in there and say, we're done for the day. But they didn't. They didn't do it, and they allowed uh, Callum Smith to get back out there. And, you know, hoping, I think they were, th- they were hoping that Callum Smith was going to make something, create something, or it was just all maybe pride. They wanted this guy to at least to finish all the way to 12th so they could at least say they withstood the power and the pressure of Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, absolutely, and great point by, by Nando. He says Callum Smith showed more class than Triple G. He actually stuck around and gave an honest assessment of the fight. That's so true. You know, he had a severe injury, and he didn't go to the change room right after the uh, the result was announced. He stood around. He let, you know, Canelo bask in his glory for a little bit and do his interview, and then stayed around to give an interview himself, and he was very respectful, very honest. Yes. You know, just as Canelo said. no excuses. No excuses. No excuses. said that he now feels more comfortable and stronger at 168 by the way his interpreter did a terrible job oh my god bro i mean he didn't translate one thing (laughs) he basically he did you know what this translator did to canelo what Callum smith couldn't do was tko anything that canelo said after the question was asked (laughs) it's like amazing because you know I don't know. I mean, look, I grew up in a bilingual home. Like, my mom speaks Spanish. I speak Spanish. My mom actually professionally translated books from Spanish to English. Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Cuban books, too, to support the the Cuban revolution. That's a side story. But um, what I was going to say was that this is the second most common spoken language in the United States of America. Right. How the can you not get an interpreter to say what Canelo's saying? I mean, Canelo, it's not like he's a chemistry prof, you know, <laughs> spitting like complex scientific terms. And he's talking basic, he's speaking in very, you know, the standard Spanish, giving very standard responses, and I can't fucking interpret it. It was it was ridiculous. It was it was it was the tequila talking for that guy, man. <laughs> I think he was having a bit. He was having a bit too good of a time, and then forgot that he was actually there. He was sent there to be a translator. He forgot he was having a good time at the bar, watching the fights with the fans and everything. And then when they finally said, "Hey, it's you're up. You need to get up." He's like, "Oh shit! Hey, okay. Well, let me get ready. Let me put on my mask." And he goes up there, and it just took over. Whatever Canelo promotes there, I forgot what kind of uh, uh, drink he's promoting. That's what that guy was drinking that night. That's why no word came out correctly. He just made up his own shit on the way. Right, and and the other thing, well, I was actually going to say something, see, before I distracted myself with my rant about that guy. <laughs> I don't know his name. He should never work another boxing show again. Um, Ernesto Amador, the translator. <laughs> The solo boxeo on Unamas. That's who he's from. That's what Jesus Am is saying right now. Yeah. From, uh, I don't know. So. 
Um, That's strange. Okay. Yeah, very strange. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I Whatever. So, anyways, what I was going to say was that Canelo had said that he feels better at 168. He feels stronger, right? right? Uh, he doesn't have to lose those extra pounds. And because of that, he actually feels that he performs better in the ring. Now, Callum Smith gave an honest assessment, right? And luckily, his words were actually, you know, the audience could actually understand what he was saying um, mm -hmm. because that, that clown wasn't trend, wasn't interpreting for him. But I digress. Uh, he said that it's, it's time for him to move up, you know? Um, the weight cut maybe uh is not as hard as it as it could be but i do think that he has like lost a little bit of power and i think he will become stronger if he fights at 175 pounds i really do um i think that punching physically like the power coming off of his punches i think there's just they're going to be um punches that are going to keep guys humble we saw that with callum smith I just can't picture him becoming this devastating puncher at 175. I think that that weight and muscle added helps him out absorb punches from the bigger guys. Uh, that's why uh, we see him kind of walking through some of these big guys' uh, punches, taller guys and stuff. Uh, but I also think the, the, the short stature, the stockiness and the muscle is a bit intimidating. I think that Callum Smith, in a lot of ways, Thought I'm facing a smaller guy at 5'8". Uh, I know they were trying to sell him as 5'9". But, um, you know, it's it's always been said that people have stood next to him that are, you know, he's not that tall. He's like 5'8", you know, I think breaking at 5'8". At but, uh, but I think there's 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 that aura of you see this guy and he kind of looks like a mini tank here, a Mokar. And kind of de it's, it's deceptive because he's got these broad shoulders, but he's, his hands are quick. His, his reflexes are really quick. His twitches are quick. He faints. I mean, he puts everything together for this really small middleweight and super middleweight, you know? I mean, he does it very well. Absolutely does it really, really well. And um, I was just going to add in his footwork is very good, too, the way he can get in and get out and yeah. transition from offense to defense and also cut off the ring. You know, he he's... he's I wouldn't use the word graceful, but he's definitely agile and, right. you know, has that asset to his game. It's not just about power punching. You know, he is a, a complete fighter, I would say. Okay, so really quick here, if you're just joining in the chat room, um, in the bottom we do, we're going to get into Triple G's performance on Friday night. We have to talk about that. So we're just basically covering the results from this past weekend. But the hot topics we're definitely going to talk about is Canelo versus who next? Uh, Triple G, does he need a big fight next? And then we got to talk about, you know, Caleb Plant making his announcement of facing Trox next for his title. He's a title defense here. But also we're going to talk about Lomachenko, about the judges. And his, re and his reaction and what he's saying now about his loss to Teofimo Lopez. If you guys want to call in, you certainly can. The hotline's right there. 917-426-8296. There's a lot of stuff here to cover. And we're going to cover definitely about Terrence Crawford's response to Errol Spence. And Errol Spence's uh, response back to Crawford. So right now, we got a pretty stacked show and a lot of stuff to cover. So we're going to move on forward here at Mill Car. Let's talk about Triple G, man. Friday night, what did you think? What did you, did you think? Oh, come back. He's back. 
He's officially back. He looks like the beast that we've been waiting for to arrive once again. Uh, he definitely did not look like a beast. Um, he looked like a guy that would get beat up handily by Canelo, especially if Canelo fights him at 168. And honestly, he looked like a guy that Jermall Charlo would probably knock out at this point. I mean, you're talking about mirages earlier. This is a mirage. I mean, this Zaremeta guy, you know, was undefeated, but had six KOs on his record. I mean, the guy has mm. no punching power. And you could see that. No, you definitely and, could see that. Absolutely. You know, I mean, but having said that, he was still touching Triple G, you know, and it took Triple G a while to get him out of there despite the knockdowns. You know, he didn't Steve Rolls this guy. You know, it, it went a little longer than that. And the Triple G that would have a shot at beating a guy like Charlo or even Andrade at this point uh, would have had to ice that guy. Um, you know, Z- he- you know the thing though, Zaremeta. I mean, look, we've said this numerous times, and the fight fans and our listeners that tune in and listen to us, they know this as well. This is a fighter here to preserve Gennady Golovkin. He hasn't moved forward. He's still stuck on wanting to face Canelo, whereas Canelo has moved forward and said, I'm going to face the best that's available out there. I don't want to be stuck in this little, you know, uh, groundhog day, you know, that I have to fight Triple G over and over and over and over and over again, you know. And that's where uh, Gennady Golovkin has really kind of put his whole career, his legacy on this line of wanting to fight Canelo Alvarez. Now, I've always said he went into that weird part of like the the Juan Marquez going after Pacquiao, but in between the the chase to Pacquiao of getting those four fights, excuse me, Marquez was facing some very tough oppositions, even lost some of those fights. Triple G kind of feels like I can't do that. I can't risk getting another loss on my record because it takes away the steam that he thinks is still there. To face Canelo Alvarez, okay? His performance, look, I thought he put his punches together beautiful. You still see that he's able to put these punches together. I also saw that he's able to put, his, his feet position are always there to land big shots here. The one thing, though, that I took notice, and I did say this on social media here, uh, Milkar, is the fact that he looked a bit slower. You know, I was able to see everything that he was throwing. Also, there was no second gear with Triple G. I know that the uh, the Gennady Golovkin fanatics are going to go, are you crazy? I, what did you see? Because I immediately, when I tweet that out, that's the response I got from some folks, okay? Was like, I don't know what you're watching. Well, I'm watching exactly what's in front of me. My eyes are not lying to me. He didn't look that fast. Did he look sharp? I thought he looked a bit sharp, you know, for, for a guy that hasn't fought and really hasn't fought anything of high-level competition I just kind of saw the same guy I've seen over and over fighting the Steve Rose of the world, you know, uh, the Matarosians of the world that was able to go out there, take these lesser punchers, you know, shots and able to do what he wants. What I want to witness is him stepping up and facing the elite guys at 160, the guys that are there that are available in the same banner that he's in, which is the zone. I want to see him step up and face those guys so that I know where I can grade them if so that I could say, hey. He, I, I would want to see a trilogy with Canelo Alvarez. What do you think? 
Well, I don't really want to see a trilogy with Canelo. I've said that since the end of the second fight. Um, if I'm Canelo, I have no reason to do that fight. Like, Canelo can make money against anybody. He doesn't need Triple G. And Triple G at this point, like, take on Andrade. You know, take on somebody of merit. Like you said, Dave, to kind of prove himself. I tell you what I find super annoying hmm. is when I read articles that say stuff like, like Golovkin versus Zaremeta. GGG sets record 21st middleweight defense. This one's from ESPN. Gennady Golovkin overwhelms Camille Zaremeta <laughs> to set record for middleweight title defenses. I mean, you may not like Carlos Manzon. He, obviously, he was a terrible person outside of the ring. You may not like Bernard Hopkins. But to say that winning an interim WBA title and, you know, uh, merging that title or unifying, I should say, to use the boxing terminology, with the the, the, the IBO title, you know, uh, that these fucking count as middleweight title defenses? Hmm. Really? You You win a vacant WBA regular title... You unify that with the IBO, and we're now talking about, let me count them here. One, two, three, four, five. So I mean, actually, it's six. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13. Before he finally fought Marco Antonio Rubio. That's 13 fights that are being counted as middleweight title defenses that were fights where the IBO and WBA regular title were on the line. Right. I mean, take 21, subtract 30, <laughs> and that's where he is in terms of middleweight title defenses. I'm sorry, but somebody's got to at least be real about the status of these lesser tier titles. The IBO title has never been recognized. Personally, I don't know why anybody pays sanctioning fees for it. I have no idea why AJ does. I don't know why Golovkin does. That title is a joke, all right? And winning an interim WBA title, I'm sorry too, but that does not constitute winning an actual world championship. And defending those two titles is not defending the middleweight title of the world. You know, I don't want to sound like Brian Kenny and his argument about... Uh, Canelo being a four-weight uh, champion, right? But right. at the end of the day, I actually rate the WBO title more than I rate the WBA regular and IBO title. So this has been a mirage. He was fighting a lot of lesser-tier opponents for a long time. Right. Right. I think he's a he's obviously a great fighter, but really, um, the, the times that he's really stepped up are... Uh, he didn't necessarily do too well, you know. No. I mean, I, I, I've always said his his really? his resume is is easily could be easily dissected. But here's the thing, Dizone, I know Dizone, Dominic, Wade. Dominic Wade. You got to be serious. <laughs> Dizone, though is doing exactly what Dizone needs to do, which is pump this up. And, and really market this guy into driving more traffic, okay? More traffic to people that are casual fans. But here's the thing is that 
how many people, I'm wondering, I don't know if anybody in the chat room have found out or seen uh, the numbers of new subscribers to buying off cable. The offer that they had, if you had cable, because they saw that a lot of folks are not downloading or paying for the app for $20 a month or $100 a year. That's all Canelo. That is all Canelo. That, that ain't Triple G. No, it isn't. Huh? But they got to do something there. And I think that's hopefully what they're at. Okay, let's let's go into this. We all know that that's very fraudulent, His uh, this title defense. There's no way, okay? Uh, that's an insult to Marvinus Marvin Hangler, Carlos Manzon, Bernard Hopkins, yeah. okay? To anybody really honestly that knows the history of boxing, uh, like ourselves, okay, that have literally have swam into this whole historical past of of our fighters that have existed and have done some heavy, uh, uh, you know, uh, work, putting some real work into uh, defending their titles and getting these titles, okay, unifying titles and stuff, you know, where I'm not going to take away, you know, I like Gennady Golovkin, but truth is truth. There's no way around it, you know, and the only ones that are kind of like, on that wagon of saying no, 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 are the Gennady Golovkin fans who are just casual fans. Let's be honest. They're nationalist fans, okay? They're tribal fans. They're just behind them because of the fact that the same, they come from the same place. Other than that, real hard bo- boxing fans, we don't know that. I mean, we all know that. It's not real. But let's go with the three options right now for Gennady Golovkin at the 160 division. There's Canelo Alvarez, which I find very hard to see that happening next. Right now, Amokar, and I'll tell you why. I don't think Canelo wants to go back to 160. I think I even heard Eddie Maranoso say that, you know what? At the moment, we're not going to go there. I don't think he can make it. At 168, we're going to stay. But also, you got Jamal Charlo, who has a title from PBC. Why not go after him? And then you have the obvious, who's on the zone as well, and is with Golden Boy, Jaime Morguilla, for a Cinco de Mayo slugfest. Out of those three, which one do you believe is more feasible happening next for Triple G? Or is it really Triple G wants to face any of those yeah. guys? And I'm hoping he does. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, feasible to Triple G. I mean, this is a guy who fought Kel Brook, who moved up two weight classes, um, you know, and who took on Steve Rolls uh, not very long ago. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think... You know, may, maybe he'll go after. Uh, there was a time when they were talking about him taking on Ryoto Murata. You guys remember that, right? You know, the, the Japanese holder of the WBA uh, regular title that Golovkin seems to like so much. Um, you know, I'd, he'd probably go after Mungia because Mungia is not the most highly skilled guy, and would probably be uh, bring in the. Uh, Mexican fans, which Golovkin's used to talk all the time about. What, have you heard him talk about Mexican fans in a, in a minute? I, it's been a while. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't. But I've seen Tom Lawford defend that on Twitter, uh, which, yeah. of course, he's going to do. He's his management. I think he's done a beautiful job. I like Tom. Um, yeah. I've had Tom on leaving the ring, you know. But here's the here's the true fact, okay? Here's the here's thing that I want zone to know because zone blocked our last week video because we put up highlights of a fight, which was uh, AJ and Polo. Okay. To zone, Go for it. Fair use. Fair use, zone. Exactly. We are allowed to, to, to analyze and comment and critique videos. That's fair use. 
All right. So I don't know why you do that, because shows like us help your business. Absolutely. Anything, throwing us some free fucking the zone accounts as far as I'm concerned. You know? <laughs> yeah. You why know, we're, not? We're you, you, we're helping you because we talked about your, your product. Exactly. So look at fair use and, and, you know, reconsider these actions. Sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say was that, you know, um, whether we talk good or not and whatever you think is good or not or criticism. I mean, this is a boxing talk show. This is what we got to do. We either praise what's happening or we point out the disappointments in the sport. Unfortunately, we're in a niche sport that has more disappointments than celebrations. That's part of the deal. That's what I signed up for. But my love for boxing is unconditional, just like the rest of everybody that tunes in and watches or listens to Leave in the Ring, whether it's on podcast or YouTube form. Okay, but let's go back to what we're talking about. The three options. I agree with you here, Milkar. I think Jaime Morgia is the perfect fit for Gennady Golovkin to face because of several reasons. And I'll give you two right now. One is the whole Mexican thing that he did parade around that you just mentioned right now. He gets a chance again to get in there with a Mexican pressure fighter, any big Mexican pressure fighter in Jaime Morgia. Okay, like you mentioned, not the high, most highly skilled, but Jaime Morgia has shown that he's resentless. He comes forward and he can take a good shot. This, if Triple G is not already overcooked where Jaime Morgia can get a win and he gets a win in a fantastic, spectacular fashion, it can all it can all of a sudden drum up more interest of him facing Canelo Alvarez. Why? Because not only do his fans want to watch it, but then the triple the Canelo fans would want to see that fight with Jaime Morgia. Now is Jaime Morgia a win over Jaime Morgia? Let me ask you this. Is that more Mirage or real? What do you think? If Triple G stopped, excuse me, uh, Jaime Morgia, what does it really do for Gennady Golovkin? Does it up his stock and for everybody to just go, okay, there's a lot left in him? Or, or does it kind of stay kind of like, you know, top to ceiling already? It's already topped out. So not really much to kind of go off of anymore. Uh, I mean, those who know the sport will not really rate a victory over Jaime Munguia that highly, I, I don't think. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, he lost to Dennis Hogan when he fought him in Monterrey. Um, he, he got that. That was, a, that was a gift to Jaime Munguia. Dennis Hogan beat him. And um, despite all the things I was saying about Triple G earlier, he is a high-level fighter, and he's a much better fighter than Dennis Hogan is. Um, much bigger, much stronger, uh, much more skilled. Um, I, I I think it would be an interesting fight because we'd get to see tr- the coaching skills of one of my favorite fighters growing up, uh, Eric El Terrible Morales. Morales, yeah. Who, who I think has kind of made some some adjustments with Munguia. You can still see a little bit more skill in him right now. And it would be interesting to see that progression and it, how much he has improved since the since the Hogan fight, but you know, well, I'll tell you what, if he gets into a, a triple G, I think we'll be able to see, hopefully the improvement or whatever improvement that we, we, we think we're seeing for Jaime Morgia is going to be expo- exposed by Gennady Golovkin. I think that's why to me, and I think to most fight fans, that to me is by far the most interesting, but the one that would obviously 
put him over that hump of doubt would would be facing uh, Jamal Charlo, the PBC uh, uh, middleweight. I think that the Charlo fight or a fight with Demetrius Andrade uh, would do that. Um, I really don't know why that's a tough fight to make. They're both on the zone. They're both middleweight title holders, right? So they could unify belts. You know, they're both promoted by Matchroom. I think that's the should be the easiest fight for them to make. The only reason I don't see that fight being made is because Triple G doesn't want to take an L and ruin a possible payday with Canelo. A fight that I think may not ever happen. Because if I'm Canelo, and right now I think I'm thinking like Canelo, I don't need Golovkin. Golovkin needs me. So there's no reason for that fight to take place. Plus, I think Canelo's proven that he's a much better fighter than Triple G now. I think that's without question. Um, well, I mean, the argument is this. It's one for one. And so it does leave it up in the air. I mean, if they don't fight for a third time, Mokar, you got to admit, you got to kind of... It's it's actually... Well, a draw? One, a draw? draw. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, that draw, I mean, let's be honest here. I thought Gennady Golovkin won that first fight. You know, I thought he took it. It's really hard for me to see that the second fight that Gennady Golovkin won that fight when Canelo to me showed up fighting the fight that he was asking for. And it was Gennady Golovkin who had to adjust to what Canelo was doing. So, to me, it's a one-for-one. And I think the third fight is to find out. But the thing is, with me, I see... Triple G has declined because of the of the oppositions he's kind of faced. You know, if for me to in for me to even gain back any interest of watching a trilogy fight would be Gennady Golovkin goes to the to the throat of the 168 division, which would be facing Charlo, in my opinion, and beating him very convincingly or stopping him. That to me would top and go like, okay, I want to see how good. You know, how good would the third fight be? Is it true? Would you be right? Canelo just completely outclasses Gennady Golovkin. Or we end up going again with a third fight where it's so close. So close because these guys were tailor-made for each other. You know, I've always said there's always that one fighter. One, There's always, there's always a great fighter that has one guy that they just can't seem to pass the mark. Is well, it Triple G for Canelo or is it Canelo for Triple G? You had it one to one, Dave. I had I have Canelo two and zero, oh, but I was drinking mucha cerveza. <laughs> Luckily for me, I was not drinking mucha cervezas after. After I was like, oh shit, this was a good fight. Let me drink more, more cervezas, man. Um, guys, you want to call in? You certainly can. Let me put it up, and then we're gonna go with the options of uh, of um, of. Uh, Jesus, of Canelo Alvarez here. But if you want to call in, 917-426-8296 here on. I've done it again. I'm speaking. I didn't have my board up. We had calls from area code 510. If you could call back. And area code 407. Uh, if you could call back, we'll get you right on. Let's get these guys on here on uh, Leave the Ring. Again, uh, right now we're. Dave, one second. We have a caller. Okay. Bring him in. Let's bring him in. <laughs> oh, is that Lomachenko? Do we, we got... got Lomachenko on the line. Oh, my God. Lomachenko is on the line with us? 
Sorry, Loma, I, I can't understand you. You might need to get uh, an interpreter. Um, hopefully, you don't use the guy that that Canelo was using. Uh, let's let's get let's get uh, Loma off the line real quick. Dave, what were your thoughts on that? Well, that Loma. Loma th- I think we have a caller. If I'm correct, yeah. I don't know. I thought I heard a little bing. I could be no, wrong here. Do we? But before I, you know, before I get into what do I think about Lomachenko, do we yeah. have a caller? Yes or no? Oh uh, no, we don't. Not okay. Right now. But area code four zero seven, area code five ten. Um, we'll we'll get you guys on immediately if you call in. I just had my call screen to the side and was talking a lot of smack and missed those calls. But we'll get you right back on. Definitely ahead, get you guys back on. Uh, it was Nado that called in, and he just said right now, it was me. Thanks a lot, Amilcar. But, okay, Lomachenko okay. here. <laughs> okay. Lomachenko. I'll get you right on that, though. Okay. So, you know what, man? I was a bit surprised. Um, you know, I, I, but I think this is what it is. Lomachenko, I mean, I think the guy, you know, just didn't think that Telfimo was going to be that much of a problem because he was he was riding so high. And I've said this. I mean, look, just like power. OK, you see a lot of guys are being praised. Right. A lot of media guys are like, you know, immediately crowning these guys and then telling them they're so great. They're so great that a lot of them get so consumed and lost in that world that that they kind of forget that there's other things that have they have to do to keep them in that division i thought he did great to a guy that came out with a much better plan okay i you know i i thought that lomachenko uh, was trying to implicate a a a plan where he was going to tire out the younger lion you know uh, and then look at the mistakes and then bring it on and it seemed like he started doing that right but it backfired on him. And I think the only way he could accept that he lost to this young lion who talked a barrage of bullshit about him, who taunted him, who got underneath his skin. And let's not forget, he did get in the head of Lomachenko that now he's sitting alone in the corner in the dark, a little car, and he's coming up with all the excuses. And this one was fantastic because he took a page from Deontay Wilder along with the Trumpsters of the world right now. He went into the conspiracy realm, right? Yeah, he did. I was just about to say that it's getting all wilder. Next thing you know, he's going to say that his, his suit or whatever was too heavy. <laughs> right? Or that, or that uh, you know, uh, Teo had... had Loaded gloves. Well, good thing uh, he has to throw his dad under the bus, you know, by saying, my dad set me up. My dad put something in my drink, you know. I mean, he hasn't went that far, but he did go into the judges because I think that's actually kind of a genius way of going because, you know, boxing fans, all of us, we got to admit, we hate our fucking judges. We call them the three blind mice, and there's a reason why, right? I mean, just this Saturday as well on Showtime, which I I didn't watch, guys. I ended up missing because my DVR didn't record it. So I, don't, I was only able to get the feedbacks of what people were saying. But I saw that there was a very questionable decision in the main event. So Lomachenko was like, bing, bing, hey, let me blame it on the judges. Let me say it was the judges that did me dirty, that they were paid off. And if they were paid off, who were they paid by, off by there, Amilcar? I mean, Bob, your own promoter paid them off? It's true. And you know, what's really truly sad to me is the uh, racial dynamic of a lot of this fanboy stuff. And I'm hoping at some point we'll bring in the playing fanboy segment 
uh, in a future episode. I'll work on it. I'll make sure we get that for next week for sure. Right. But, you know, there's it's been a while since we had like white fighters from the United States that are very successful. And, you know, in the past, there's a lot of uh, xenophobia against Eastern Europeans. Mm -hmm. The situation's so bad now that a lot of, you know, let's be honest, white fans from the United States are like clinging on to these Eastern Europeans. It's, I, I've I've heard fans call in to other shows on our network uh, and call that a robbery. Um, I see what happens in the Twitter sphere, you know, and I see what happens in like the comment sections of YouTube videos. I, I it's truly sad. Um, this whole ethnic division stuff and racial division stuff in boxing need, need to go. I've said this on on, on another podcast, but. You know, it can't go. I mean, think about this. That's the core of what moves boxing to the faces of casual fans. I mean, let's be honest here. Promoters from the get-go have understood. From the very beginning of boxing's birth, promoters have known that sparking up a racial tension between two different groups is what sells fights. Bob Arum was notorious for it. Let's not forget, Bob Arum pitted the uh, Filipino versus Mexico. You know, know, I mean, he was pitting the Brits versus America. It's a, it's right. it, it drives the sport. If it didn't have that, a lot of fights wouldn't be a major draw. You know, unfortunately, a lot of these fights wouldn't happen because they wouldn't have the backing that these fighters would need in Milkar. So we can't X that out, but we do have to accept it that this is it's not a racial thing. This shouldn't be a race war. This is between two fighters. If you want to be proud pr- proud of your ethnicity or whatever this fighter is representing, I don't have no problem with that. But when you start being blinded and coming in. And and, and 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 acting a certain way, you know, then that's that's the issue. And that's not the issue of the sport. That's the inner issue of the individual, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I you know, I guess we it's too much to expect, you know, people to be fans of Tito if you're not Puerto Rican or to, you know, be fans of, you know, Canelo if you're not Mexican. But, you know, I hope for a day when this kind of thing doesn't need to happen. But you're absolutely right. It's embedded in the sport, and I don't honestly think there's a promoter who's taking advantage of this more than Bob Arum in top rank, personally. Um, the, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen it in the past. And, you know, it, yeah, it's just uh, too, too, much, too much of that for my liking. Um, but I, what more can be said about... about uh, Lomachenko? You know, the... To me, he's just embarrassing himself. Well, I think what he's doing here, again, I'm one of those guys that likes to look at what the quote and what they're, you know, digging at and then sit there and go, hmm, if I was working with this guy and I thought that because listening with Tilfimo Lopez and what Timo Lopez's dad's been saying is saying, hey, we don't want to give this guy a rematch. Why give this guy a rematch? The way Lopez got underneath the skin of Lomachenko where Lomachenko was like, I'm giving this guy a fight because I want to shut him up. I think that Lomachenko is trying to do the the the, the Jedi trick to Lopez. Can Lopez fall for it by saying, what, you think the judges bought into that shit? Let's make this fight happen again. Bob, let's make this fight. I'm going to shut this guy up and show him it wasn't the judges. It was all me. And I think it's a brilliant way of trying to spark or get in the head of the younger lion, Tofima Lopez. I could be wrong. 
But I think that might be a route. Bot fighters and management have to come up with a way of marketing and generating more interest, especially if the other participant doesn't want no part of it. Uh, we lost a mill car. I don't know what happened to him. I, uh, you're you're on mute or something, brother? Oh, there you right. go. I put myself on mute. Look, so that means you didn't hear the stuff that just fell all over my floor. No, <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, "It's a milk car. Are you ducking me? Are you ducking me?" <laughs> you want to get in? You want to get in the caller, Dave? Let's get in the caller here on leaving the ring, man. We can get into one of our uh, our missed our missed callers from uh, a short while ago. Uh, let me just bring it up. And we'll bring in uh, hopefully two. My man G Funk, what's up, brother? Good to see you on here, man. Uh, much love to you. G Funky's there. Good to see G Funky too. Great to see G Funky and everybody else in the Leave It in the Ring family that uh, supports each other. Always a good thing. Always. Let's try uh, area code 510 since they were the first to call. All right, next topic is going to be coming up here shortly after the call. We're going to be talking about GGD, GG, Triple G. Uh, does he need a big fight next? Even though, no, I'm sorry, Canelo. We already covered that, man. I'm all over the place here on leaving the ring. Your message Oops. for five, look like one, zero. All right. Uh, no worries. He's probably listening to the show right now. It's like, fuck that. There's yep. some good conversations happening. You know? Canelo, who does he face next is what we're going to talk about here on Leaving the Ring. Chicano Prophet putting down Lomachenko's star seems to be fading fast. He needs to get back in the ring soon. Hello. Even in hey, the ring. Hello. Calling you back, bro. Sorry we missed hey, your call. Nah, you good, brother. Oh, is How's this everything? is this John for Midnight Boxing? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like yeah, it. this yeah. is John. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what's going on, brother? What's on your mind, man? What's your take about Saturday and even Friday night on DAZN? Yeah, so uh, I thought it was a good little weekend of fights. Um, I think it really got to hit on a lot of uh, interest on boxing fans and casuals in general. But um, you know, yeah, Triple G. Uh, coming off of uh you know i i thought he looked good i mean for what it was worth i thought he looked good um but he definitely didn't look he looked slow but you know he was kind of like a slower version of the triple g that of the monster that we all saw in the past uh one thing that i did like when uh canelo ended up you know putting on the amazing performance that he put on on uh, the post fight you know that they were going to mention Hey, well, you know, what about Triple G? And he just laughs, man. Canelo just laughs, and it's the truth. And what, I mean, I'm sure it was horribly translated because the translator was horrible. But um, but what Canelo was pretty much just laughing at is like, dude, like, I'm moving forward. The right. Is in the, I'm over here making moves. This guy is still stagnant. This guy's only wanting me and only me and has done nothing since our fight. And, I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's in her um, ex at this at this moment. I mean, I think it's safe to say that Gennady Golovkin is reacting to a hurt ex. She doesn't want to let go. Doesn't want to move on. 
She's still, you know, uh, carrying that first teddy bear you gave her. She still has that dead rose in a binder. I don't know how else to put it. I think that's what Canelo needs to do. But it's just not Triple G. It's the whole Triple G team and the whole Triple... Oh, let me say this for D-Style because I know he hates this. It's the whole GGG fan base. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, so I mean that... That uh, I was surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that he was asked the question of Triple G, but mm-hmm. I did like his reaction, and I think he, sh- I think he should have like leaned a little more into it and just, I don't know, because like some people just don't, they don't see it. I don't, I don't know how you don't see it, because I'm, uh, I'm still a pretty big Triple G fan, but I'm not, I'm not blind to his right. Ball. Yeah, um, and there's no, not, there's no problem we'll, being a, a Triple G fan. Like I'm a Triple G fan, but I want to see him move forward. When right. he first came up, I was like, this dude's unstoppable. There's no stopping him. This guy's amazing. And then once, you know, he started stepping up, I was like, oh, okay, okay. He has his faults, which, you know, all fighters right. do, so no big deal. But the thing is, is like, how is how aren't these people opening their eyes and just saying, this guy really hasn't done much recently? He hasn't. He's been doing the same thing. And if we're going to compare him to Canelo, yeah, Canelo moved up and he fought an old guy in Kovalov. That's hmm. more than what Triple G did, in my opinion. Right. I mean, it is what it is. So but. let me ask you, man. What do you think Gennady Golovkin needs to do to get us back the interest that or the drive that we once had as fans about him? What does he and have to do next? I think he needs to beat the shit out of Charlo. If mm. he doesn't beat the shit out of Charlo, there's, it doesn't matter. If he just squeaks out a victory, he'll get some love back, but... It won't be all that, or he gets his ass whooped. But if he has a dominating performance to where we're like, what the hell just happened? I think everybody jumps back on. I think it would take something like that. Now, will something like that actually happen? I don't know. Probably not. But You know what uh, I've noticed is nobody's even bringing up, like we haven't even brought up Demetrius Andrade, who was even there talking about uh, Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I gotta tell you, Amilcar, I'm gonna, I have interest in that fight, but I don't, I don't fault Gennady Golovkin and his team not taking that fight. That to me is a bad fight for him to go after, especially in how slow he kind of looked on Friday. You know, I mean, like, like John just said right now, the the fundamentals are there, but he does look a step behind, and you know, Andrade is just, yeah. All right. I'm pretty much the same age as, as as Golovkin, and I'm like 20 steps behind where I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, John, thanks for calling in, bro. I really appreciate it, man. Um, hey, no problem, brother. I've been real busy, but I had to at least take five minutes to say what's up to my boys, man. Absolutely, oh, bro. That, man. Can't wait to have you back on the Leaving the Ring route, bro. I hope everything's going well. And uh, I know career-wise, you did a big thing, and we're very proud of you here on Leaving the Ring, brother. Appreciate it, bro. Take care. You too, John. Yeah, so uh, we'll bring in another caller, uh, Go for Dave. It. Yeah, let's bring right. another caller in. Bring in another caller right now. We got a lot of stuff here to talk about, folks, here on Leaving the Ring. Uh, Rathwell Boxing, thanks for tuning in, brother. Hi, right, Hello. You there? Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, no thanks, man. How you doing? Not bad, fam. How are you? Good, man. Happy holidays. You and your family, man. I hope you, you're, everything's well with you guys. 
Yeah, you you as well, man. It's been a while. Who is this? Is this Fernando? Do we have Fernando on the line with us? Who do we have? Yes, we. I can hear you, brother, but it sounds like you, it sounds like Lomachenko is covering your mouth, you know, and that, like you're one of the judges or something. What's going on? <laughs> hey, you, hey, you sound like the translator right now, you know, something that, you know. <laughs> I got some old, I got some old busted AirPods, man. Don't make fun of them. <laughs> no worries, brother. So, man, really quick, let's get your uh, let's get your take about uh, Triple G. Canelo, and what would you like to see both men do next? Well, look, I'm not. I used to be a fan of Triple G, right? I bought the hype, so I don't hate the guy. Kind of, he's mm-hmm. kind of turned me off mm-hmm. with all the stuff he said outside the ring, like uh, the accusations he he, you know, he hurled at Canelo. You know, the the, the tracks on his stomach, him writing a letter to the commission to suspend him, uh, him not wanting to pay Abel Sanchez. You know, kind of some bitch boy off. shit. All you know, of it. A lot of bad stuff. A lot of bad stuff he's done outside the ring that he doesn't get a. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's like Teflon, man. Never sticks to him. You know, he does a lot of bad shit outside the ring. Or more recently, right, he wanted to kill De La Hoya in the ring, right? Like Ooh. that kind of shit rides off him for some reason, you know. Yeah, if you think about it, like Deontay Wilder said, he wanted a, he wanted to have a body bag count on his uh, on his you know on his resume here, and Gennady Golovkin got no fire back from fans or media about him saying. He wanted to kill Oscar De La Hoya. That's that was like whoa, you know. He's a, he's always been a, a boxing media darling, man. I know uh, I'm not a big fan of Steve Kim, but man, Steve Kim dude, they, they, the trainers spoofy that guy every new uh, prospect, man. You know Steve Kim like every time there's a prospect, man, Steve Kim's blowing him up for even done shit. You know he's doing that forever. You know he gets spoon yeah. fed by uh, by the trainers, by the promoters, and that's they got Triple G, man. He you know. He got spoon fed to the wrestler, you know. I'm I, the hype. I just want. I just want to. I just. I just want to say this really quick here, Fernando, because I know Steve listens to the show, and Steve's a buddy of mine. Steve, I'm not paying him to say any of that. Okay, just to let you know, so don't text me upset. <laughs> okay, this is this is all boxing, no filter at its finest. Here, Fernando, continue on, brother. Hey, hey, dude, don't get me wrong, man. I was a max boxing member from 2001. No, so was I. Yeah. Seven, six. Yeah. You know, so I was a big fan of Steve Kim too, man. But, you know, he just, like, blows people up. Like, he's not the only one, right? Like, a bunch of these guys do that all the time, man. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, you know what? The one thing I think Steve knows, because we've, you know, we've had, uh, I've talked about this numerous times. Anytime Steve coins somebody, uh, you just kind of notice that that guy never really kind of jumps into what he was saying the guy was going to do. Like, for instance, Verdejo, um, What's the other uh, Argent- the uh, the Argentinian fighter the la, la machine, machina uh, Lucas Matisse right uh, you know guys like that you know I mean look when you're covering the beat and I'm not making excuses because this a lot of media guys do this okay you know and 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 I've always had a problem with that when you coin somebody or you start you know putting this for it for this weird investment in the fighters i've always said it's because you end up building this relationship okay uh even like doug fisher does it you know um it, it, to me it makes it a very difficult job for you to do be in terms of like having an honest uh criticism of a fighter or a camp you know but you're human they're human you know what i mean so i can't bitch about them too much 
because I'm pretty sure I've done it. But I've also I like I had a great relationship with Timothy Bradley, but I did call out when he was, you know, his faults and, and his flaws in, in that ring. But yeah. But anyways, go go on, bro. I'm sorry. Went on my little chat. I get that's that's the difficult part, right? Like taking you know, like having an honest assessment. Hey, that's human, it's human nature. So I don't want Steve Kim was like the first one came to my mind, but a lot you know, like right. uh, Dan Raphael, like, well, Julio back in the day, you know. D, even D South says he gassed up Linares. He just pointed that out in the chat. <laughs> yep. So you know it happens, but my biggest issue was G, right? Like the only reason he wanted Canelo in the first place, if people remember back then, is because Canelo had a name and he was a big payday. Right. Canelo was like some big uh, target at the, at the time. You know, he didn't have he didn't have the big resume quite, you know, to be. Uh, he thought it was going to be. A, he thought it was going to be a big payday, a big easy payday. And that's why we went after Canelo. Canelo was never going to get that. Never going to get the decision in the eyes of fans or the meet in the first fight. And sure as hell, he wasn't going to get in the second fight after they felt they all felt like they got ripped off. You know, so Canelo's always kind of had a a deck stacked against him when it comes to Triple G by the you know boxing casuals and some some members of the media. Hmm. You know, so it's difficult. But personally, dude, I like to see him fight Charles, man. Like fluff up that resume a little bit, man. You know. Yeah. He, you know, like, I started on Triple G, but I would love to see him against Charlo. Just to change it up a little bit, man. Getting it with Charlo. Or how about this? Dude, he looked pretty big in his last uh, fight. Why not move up to 168 take on Benavides? You know, do something Ooh. big time, I was man. just about to say you know? that. If he wants a Canelo fight, he's got to do one of two things. He's either got to right. take on the top middleweight, like Charlo or Andrade, or he's got to move up to 168 and tackle somebody over there. Um, the problem I see for him is I don't see him beating Benavides. I don't see him beating Plant. Um, and as tough as this is going to stay, it's kind of difficult for me to say this now because we haven't seen Billy Joe in a while now. But I even think that's an even money fight. That Billy fight Joe blows. And- that fight blows. I never said I want. I never said it, it, I want to see it. I'm not saying it's an even, even money fight. And to uh, to your guys' point, I mean, we all we all have these fighters that we kind of like endorse or like early on for me that guy was uh obviously daniel dubois anyone listening to this show knows i was i was uh 100 I, I, I was oh <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, that deserves the hey hey fernando that deserves this That's what I love. And you know what? For years, Steve Kim did something that, which I will always respect him for. He did something that a lot of these other media guys don't do. Like he had an open platform, hey guys, you know, where where people could call and and talk to him and 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 debate him, etc. So, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I I agree with you though about about um, Triple G. Um, I, I've I, you could classify me as a hater and everything. You know what? Like I said early in the show, you make 13 title defenses of the WBA regular, which you won under interim basis, and the IBO, which nobody rates. You cannot then say that you're going to include those in a 21 uh, defense record. You know, it's beyond disingenuous. Hmm. Absolutely. Fernando, we got to keep moving on, brother. Uh, your final thought about... No, no, I just want to wish you and your family and everybody listening a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, man. I hope 2021 is a lot better for everybody. Oh, well, uh, thanks, thank Absolutely, you, man. brother. You guys hard work. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank so you. much. Uh, you guys want to call in? You certainly can. Uh, 
96. Let's talk some boxing here on on leaving the ring. Yeah, I just got to pay attention to these boards and do do the producing thing, at least in terms of the phone lines. It's you know, t- it, <laughs> it's a tough deal, you. man. You know about, it, about interpreters and and everything else. The next thing I know, I've missed three calls. I know. Okay, let's go on to Canelo's options here at 168. Uh, obviously, the obvious one is uh, Gennady Golovkin. But Canelo is talking about fighting in Mexico in February, which would be against a mandatory. Now, if somebody's like, oh, it's against a nobody, then you would be right to say that if that mandatory challenge happens in Mexico with uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez. Yes. But then you got Caleb Plant, who's going to be fighting in January against uh, Caleb Track. And uh, so it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. And then the last one would be the guy that we talked about earlier, which would be B.J. Saunders. Now, Benavides. Let me uh, let me bring this caller. And I think I know who it is. Hello. Hello. What's up? I knew it was you, D. How's it going? D style. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You know what I mean? Just chilling, listening to the show. Uh, I'm mad, man. I got beef with uh, Gennady Golovkin. Look, man, <laughs> I can beat up my plumber like that, right? That, that ain't cool, right? I mean, that guy did a good job when he was here. I gave him great reviews. I can't give him great reviews for the fight, though, but, but nonetheless. You get him off task, Bradley? I don't remember. <laughs> yellow pages. <laughs> I'm old school. I go to the yellow pages still. I still get the yellow pages. Um... Hey, man, I think uh, Canelo looked really, really good. And I'm 100% confident he is the best fighter in the world, man. Best pound for pound, fight in the world. That's what the definition is. I don't do lists or anything, but he's the best out there, man. Hmm. I got to agree with you, you know. And, you know, when we did the roundtable Thursday, D-Style, the one criticism I had of of, uh, Canelo was that he had not always taken on the best opponents in in the weight classes and had had even fights at 160 with Golovkin, but he took on the best 168 pounder in my eyes. Um, you know, and he man, dominated. I'm gonna have I to be. I, I, I'm know? I'm gonna have to be the guy to say let's pump our brakes here. I mean, I I, I would I would have to rate Tefimo Lopez above Canelo right now, guys. You know, I know it's that one performance, but it is a one performance over a guy that looked like he was going to be dominate that lightweight division for quite some time. And he went out there and I mean, I don't think he I mean, he, I don't think he shocked you or even G-Funk, but I, th- I would have to say he shocked the world off to that performance over Lomachenko Lopez. One win, no Lopez could be the, the fighter of the year. That, that's completely different to who is the best fighter. You know, Lopez not even a finished product yet. Okay, Canelo is at a whole other level when it comes to defense skill than, than Teofimo Lopez, in all honesty. I mean, that this guy is incredible. He, he slips punches, he catches punches, he rolls punches. Yep. Um, he, he fights in – he's very fluid in there. There's really no transition from offense to defense. His punch selection is phenomenal. I mean, I think this – he is – when I look at him, I say, that guy, he's the most talented boxer in the world today. And to me – that that's what pound for pound means. I love Teofimo Lopez. I really do, mm-hmm. man. He's a great fighter and all. But at the end of the day, one win just isn't enough to say, you know what? You're the best pound for pound fighter in the world. 
I just don't know if Teofimo Lopez is there quite yet. We don't have enough data. You need more data for something like pound for pound. You know what I mean? And I think I, I, I need to see Teofimo Lopez do what Canelo's been doing, that be consistent and show it throughout multiple fights against multiple uh, opponents. And I got Okay, so let's – but let's throw this out there. We got – there's obviously – Three, four guys out there that you can throw into this whole pound for pound debate. You got Errol Spence Jr., who came back from a car crash that looked like a complete fighter, shutting down a very good fighter in Danny Garcia. And then you got uh, Tyson Fury, uh, who all as well has made a comeback and destroyed Deontay Wilder, took away the only good punch he had was the right hand. Then you got Tefimo Lopez, and then there's Canelo. I mean, I would add Inouye to that list, too. Inouye? Hmm. But I think Inouye yeah. is the, the less accomplished guy out of all those other guys, don't you think? At this I moment? He's done more. He's, he's, uh, like he's sparked out a world champions and former world champions that had never been knocked down or knocked out before. And he's done it in the lower weight classes where there are far fewer knockouts. Hmm. So That's I certainly think he's got to be considered. I'm not saying he's number one, but... He's got to be considered as one of the most talented fighters for sure. I mean, he's definitely up there. His knockout of Piano's great. But here's the thing, Milkar. When he fought a bigger man than he, right, yep. he struggled, right? It was a tough fight. And it was, impre- it was an impressive win. But, you know, his orbital bone got hit. You know what I mean? He got, he got hurt once or twice against Donaire, you know, who was an aging guy. Canelo just fought somebody who was a champion, undefeated, won the World Series of Boxing. He was a ranked champion. In his prime. He was a WBA super champion, and he dominated him. He dominated him so bad, people are criticizing Canelo after the fight, saying, who is this guy? Like, like, I had cousins of mine be like, who's this guy Canelo fought? I mean, he don't even know how to fight. That's how bad he made him look. Wow. And you know what? I, 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 if you, When you pass the bar as a lawyer, I'm going to hire you because you definitely uh, show. I've changed my mind. I, I, I'm not going to go against that. The Canelo's number one pound for pound. I think you're right. You've made a perfect case. Yeah. In uh, my opinion. Yeah. I think case. so. Gentlemen, I rest my case. Who's down with HCP? Everybody, I want to give a shout out to Chief Funky, my partner in crime. He'll be back soon. Uh, tomorrow I'll be live anyway. So HCP and all that good stuff. Uh, I'm going to head out, guys. All right, brother. Thanks for taking call in, brother. I appreciate it, man. Tune in live. All right, so let's get back here through our three options: Kayla Plant, Gennady Golovkin, BJ Saunders. BJ Saunders is out there, but let's be honest: Canelo's going to be facing somebody of no note, no name, no hoper in February, if that is the plan in Mexico, which I think is going to sell out. A lot of the Mexicanos are going to show up and see their beloved fighter uh, go out there, and, you know. Get a performance, um, get a, another fight in the bag there. But reality, I want to see. I don't. I, maybe I'm the only one on this one here, man. Because you know, in the leaving the ring uh, uh, Gmail, people are like, I want to see, see Benavides, and I'm like, I want to see that fight too. But doesn't Benavides, David Benavides, uh, doesn't he need to do something right now? He doesn't have a title. Okay, no. um, he doesn't have anything to have leverage over Canelo. The only thing that I think that Benavides, Team Benavides, and them would do is take whatever offer Canelo will give them. Whereas Plant, BJ Saunders, uh, uh, even Gennady Golovkin, I think Gennady Golovkin would still want a little bit more of the pie 
in that fight if it was offered to them. But the other two names, BJ and uh, uh, Plant, I think they will all outprice themselves once again. I just get that sense. So I would like to see David Benavides go after one of these guys, which is it wrong to me to say this, uh, uh, Mokar, but I don't think Plant will face David Benavides either. I think what Plant's planning to do is hold on to this tricklet belt as long as he can to stack up his bank account, you know, make as much money as he can before he decides to really take on a real true threat. No, I'm not saying that, that Caleb Track is not a, a good fighter, but do you really see Track, you know, honestly giving Caleb Plant a lot of problems in there? No, I mean, he's taking on uh, Caleb Tro, a.k.a. Caleb Truax, Um Truax, why do I keep saying track? Yeah, you're at Truax, my bad. No, it is Truax, but I believe that's a French name and it's pronounced Tro, but as with a lot of these names, people change them. Um, you only need not need further, look further than uh, Demetrius Andrade, who for mm. some reason refers to himself as Andrade, but I digress. Um, yeah, you've got Caleb Trax, uh, Zach Parker, Jurgen Bremer, Yevgeny Drevdenko, uh, then Daniel Jacobs and a number of other people that most people probably haven't heard of <laughs> as his, uh, you know, the, the list of contenders within the IBF, a middleweight ranking or sorry, super middleweight rankings. So he can maybe skim that for as long as he wants to on these PBC shows, you know, um, while the other super middleweights battle it out to determine who's the best. But like I said, I don't think that's the route that Canelo's going to take. Um, we, I mean, if Plant gets past Truax, which I think that's really what it's going to probably come down to, Truax uh, doesn't cut the ring off very well. Um, no. You know, he's going to have to really put so much pressure and eat a lot of leather coming in because Plant is a good counter puncher. But the thing is, is can Truax catch Plant, Caleb Plant? I, I don't, I don't think so. No, you know. Now, in terms of, catch I know, him as in power or catch him as in tracking him down offensively. Offensively tracking him down, I don't see that happening. Okay, good. I, I, I just don't see it. You know, and Truax is, a, is, uh, I, I like the kid. Um, I think what you know, him winning the first title, it, it, it was great. It's a great story. He did all that, but but he is easy to figure out. He's predictable. I don't think yep. he would even argue about that. I think he would admit he is predictable. He would have to produce something, you know, to really set off, well, set off uh, Caleb Plant's game plan, which would be the mover and counterpuncher, okay? The hand speed of, of, of Caleb Plant is obviously going to be a lot of issues for uh, uh for. Truax, so I just don't see, and I don't see like a lot of fans are saying why this fight was even made. You know, I mean, I do. We all do know why it was made. It's it's him just Man, you know, it's yeah, but it's it's him holding on to to a belt. That's it. That's what it comes down to. There's really no no sense of want to be great. There's you know what I mean, reaching for greatness by facing guys like Truax, which is like I said, I like Truax, so but I'm not saying anything that's out of line. I think everybody can admit to that, right? But you know, but you gotta question Caleb Plant's strategy of trying to say he's the best. He tweeted out the best 168. 
How is that if you're facing the true acts of the world? Well, I mean, yeah, it's he is the best at 168, isn't he? I mean, he beat up uh, Bengen Butts at the end of the day. <laughs> Doesn't that give you best at 168 division status? I think so, probably. Or maybe, or maybe it's the Mike Lee win. I don't know. You combine those two wins. I can't honestly think of another 168-pounder that hasn't beat guys of that standard. I don't know about you, Dave. Maybe he is number one. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, and and you know what? I mean, we've had Caleb Plant on the show. We'll probably get him on here once again, you know, to talk boxing with him. And, you know, he was saying, like, look, you know, Canelo's using my name. Remember that? He said that on the show. He's using my name as clout, you know, at the 168 uh, division. He also said that, you know, they were trying to set him up. And by setting him up is that giving him a short camp. He needed a longer camp to train. So that's why I'm saying February wouldn't work out because Callum Smith took the fight on four weeks and at weren't they offering it to Caleb Plant at some point on like they offered it to him twice, like eight weeks, right? Right. I I don't know. I mean, look, you talk about Truex; he's probably going to put up a tough fight to a certain extent, Um, but he's obviously been knocked out before, right? Uh, Darrell knocked him out. I don't think Plant's Uh, knocking him out though. No, uh, Jacobs knocked him out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I don't think he's knocking him out. But the other side of it, though, is he actually surprised me with the way he, he handled uh, James DeGale, which is obviously who he, you know, going after his, his hmm. IBF title again, he didn't lose it in the ring. In fact, I don't know how he lost the IBF title. Maybe it was inactivity. I'm not too sure. Maybe one of the... Listeners can answer that in the chat. But, you know, he won the IBF title from James DeGale. And then he never defended it. And now he's fighting for it again. So, you know, boxing's confusing. It's even difficult for me at times to keep up with everything like that. So if anyone in one of our listeners, obviously hardcore fans, can chime in on that, maybe you can explain what, what happened to his title. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not excited about this fight. Sorry. I'm not either. I don't think it does anything for his resume. And I definitely don't think it does anything for him to warrant that he should get more money facing Canelo Alvarez. Um, Seeing that Canelo Alvarez is the A-side if they were to go back in a negotiation. Obviously, honestly, I got to tell you this. I mean, I know that Canelo is saying he wants all the bouts at 168, but something's got to give, Right. You know, either he's going to have to give Caleb what he wants, which is more money uh, to face uh, Canelo Alvarez. But here's the thing is that he's fighting in the late Jan- of January, right, uh, uh, Caleb Plant. So that leads him obviously out of any negotiation for Canelo to come back February. So he would have to come back in the summer. So that means that they would have to be in negotiations before even the February fight would happen so that Caleb Plant, in the Caleb world, he would have to have four to six months of training to get ready for Canelo Alvarez, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did I say something wrong? <laughs> four to six months for a training camp. Yeah, I guess. Based on his past statements. Um but, you know, Canelo can take quick turnarounds. I mean, he's done it before in the past. So yes. you can see him fighting some guy in February. And if he 
I can see that. Canelo fighting in February. I can't see Plant fighting in February or March or no, April no, no, no. or May. Hey, Canelo could fight, you know, in February if he feels ready and then fight again in the Cinco de Mayo weekend, right, which he's typically fought at uh, previously. And maybe he could fight Caleb Plant then. The problem for Canelo is hmm. that Trip, uh, Danny Jacobs made $14 million to fight him. Right. That's a lot of fucking money. And it is. But I think that Danny Jacobs, $14 million, I mean, I'm not going to say that he completed it, but I think he deserved it more than what Caleb would be offering because Caleb hasn't have, he doesn't even have a Gennady Golovkin in his resume. At least Danny Jacob did. Yeah, but he lost to Golovkin. It doesn't matter. I mean, at least he, he took a chance. Have you seen Caleb Plant take a chance with anybody at this moment? I mean... He was saying that he's he. he I, <laughs> and you're forgetting Mike Lee, Dave. I, oh, this already. <laughs> that says it all. Then I'm wrong. Second time of my show, I'm wrong. First D style proves me wrong that Canelo is number one pound for pound, and now this you just prove me wrong here. Like you're right, Caleb Plant. <laughs> There you go. Oh, guys. I think we're all Caleb Plant talked out. Those are the three topics. I think we need to move on. We got to talk about uh, Errol Spence Jr. Errol Spence Jr., man, made himself uh, presence at on Saturday night for the main event of uh, Canelo Alvarez versus, uh, versus uh, Caleb Smith. And uh, he did. He definitely had some very, very interesting things to say. Um, you know, starting off with uh, about... About Canelo, um, let me ask you, man. You know he. I'll put it up here really quick. Okay, it doesn't look like, honestly, uh, Crawford is in the talks about anything with Spence. It didn't really look like he wanted to even get into bringing up Spence. It was brought up to him. I mean, uh, Crawford was brought up to him, and uh, I don't know, man. It just now. I'm leaning towards the fact that Errol Spence Jr. probably doesn't want anything to do with Terrence Crawford at this moment, man. Am I am I getting that sense wrong here, Milkar? No, I don't think you're getting it wrong at all. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. Does he plan to move up to 168 pounds? Because if I'm Canelo, I see no reason to go to 154 to fight him or 160. You know, Canelo's been there, done that. And at this point in his career, why would he take on a, a welterweight? Hmm. I mean, he already said it. He wants to unify the titles at 168. You know, really? You know, what, what Errol Spence needs to be thinking about are guys like Terrence Crawford or keep it in-house and take on a guy like Ugas, who I think deser- deserves a shot. Well, here's what he fight. said in the telecast when uh, yeah. Chris Mannix went up to him. And he was uh, in the crowd. Uh, you know, Errol Spence said, I think it could happen. We have to see it how it goes. Spence said about Al Heyman. He said, Al Heyman and Bob Arum need to sit down and for Bob to stop lying. But we'll see it, you know. Now, he's putting it on Bob Arum, saying that, you know. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, what is Bob? I mean, this is what it really comes down to now is that you have two sides of the spectrum of the boxing world which is pbc and top rank 
you know, for some reason, it's a weird world that we live in. You know, when you want to talk about cults, uh, you have the cult of PBC and the cult top rank. They all want to see it. And in the middle is hardcore boxing fans. We want to see this fight. So what does Bob have to do with any of this? You know, this comes down to two fighters. Terrence Crawford is saying basically, look, I want the fight. Spence, now you just got to say it too. Let's make this fight happen. You know, it makes sense. It needs to happen. It shouldn't happen next. It shouldn't happen in 2022. It should happen in 2021. Yeah, I mean, we all want to see Spence Crawford, you know. Um, I don't think that Spence Triple G is a realistic fight at all. And um, he's delusional if he thinks he's legitimately going to get that fight. Maybe that's why I mentioned Bob Arum. He's probably delusional. Well, here's what... I, well, yeah, he's probably delusional, but here's like Terrence Crawford's tweet, you know, immediately after that interview, Crawford just put out there, hey, they said it, it was me. I rest my case now. On to the next. That chapter is now closed. When he said that, bro, I felt like somebody was breaking up with me because I was like, I'm not, I haven't closed that chapter. And I don't think any boxing fans have closed that chapter. Why are we closing this chapter? Amukar, why are we closing this chapter? Terrence Crawford, why are you giving up? Come on. Come back. Bring it back to us. (laughs) Why are you closing the chapter when there is no next one? Who's the next one? I know that. Where does Crawford go from here? Think about this, okay? He's not going to find any of the other PBC guys, or is he? Well, I don't really think so. I mean, I I bet Ugas would want to fight him, but... I don't know if he'd want to fight Ugas. You know, you look at the, the the landscape at welterweight, you know, it's, you know, maybe Mikey Garcia might fight him, but I don't even like seeing Mikey at welterweight. Mikey should go down to 140, if not back to 135. I don't, yeah, I, I don't want to see Mikey Garcia. I, you know, I'm sorry. I, I just no, don't I want mean, to see. Maybe, maybe it's Virgil Ortiz. I'd like to see that. I'd love to see that. And I think that would be the next Order? big fight. You know? Or what about Jerron Innes? I'd like to see Jerron Innes take a leap. You know, um, I don't know. It's 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 very difficult to see where this goes for him. Um, because, you know, top rank is just not heavily invested in the welterweight division. They're just not. They're just not. Well, it leaves Crawford in a weird position, in my opinion. I mean, it just leaves Crawford and to wondering what he's going to do next. Because you know what? Uh, He didn't want to fight his good buddy, Sean Porter. He left that out the door. He said, we're friends. I don't want to do that fight. Eh." Never brought up Danny Garcia. Uh, Keith Thurman didn't look like, well, can't blame him because Keith, what's going on with Keith? You know, either he's getting his hair braided or he's somewhere playing the flute. Or he's uh he's out of service. <laughs> All right. You know, I'm growing I'm growing out my hair. You know, I might have to keep thermic look. Uh, I've been about a year. And you know, Chicago but, Prophet, you know. Chicago Foot Prophet put out there, look, Crawford versus Ortiz would be fire. And I agree with you. If Crawford can't I'm buying it. Oh yeah. If Crawford, if, if Errol Spence, really honestly, if Crawford, I mean, let me say, if Crawford really has put these talks to rest, meaning I've really truly have moved forward, 
the biggest option for him would be uh, Virgil Ortiz. But here's the thing, though. It wouldn't be a big fight yet. I don't see the high demand yet. Really think about it. I don't see much folks really talking about Virgil Ortiz except for us real big boxing fans. So how much money would be there for these two guys? And would this be good financially for Golden Boy to put up their golden goose against Terrence Crawford at this time? Who I think that Ortiz has a big chance of beating Crawford because of his size and obviously his boxing skill. That's exactly why you take the shot if you're Golden Boy. Now, because you go back to Crawford, dude has to be desperate at this point for an opponent, right? Um, His mandatory Sean Porter. He doesn't want to fight Sean Porter. Maybe if the WBO can force that, uh, we might get a fight with Sean Porter, which I think would be a good fight, actually. Um, I love that. I would love that fight. For Crawford to right. go and, and do yeah. with Sean Porter. Porter number, Sean Porter is number one in the WBO right now. Absolutely. So that's a possibility. Uh, but other than that, I mean, he's, there's not really much out there for him. That uh, this, that, what, that, this is what really told me that Errol Spence wants nothing right. to do with Terrence Crawford, okay? His response to about Mannix talking to him about Canelo Alvarez, okay? Uh, he said, I think it's a great fight, especially at 160. It would be an all-out war. Have it at the ATT Stadium in Dallas with 100,000-plus fans, said Spence. I'm a guy that sucks down to get to 147. I want to be undisputed champion at welterweight. Okay, so why are we talking about 160? And why, if you want to be undisputed at welterweight, then why are we not talking about Terrence he Crawford? Very, he sounds very confused. Because if you want to be undisputed at 147... Guess what? You have to fight the other champions at 147. And one of those people is Manny Pacquiao. The other is is Terrence Crawford. But it's like Nando just said. It's like he agrees with me. I'm kind of getting sick of both Spence and Crawford. Like this talk keeps happening and it keeps going nowhere because I mean we've been talking about this fight for like two years now. It's you know? it's it's giving us the reminisce of Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. And I'm, I'm plant I'm plant based, and you know it's been years since I've had any kind of milk. But it reminds me of when I was a kid, <laughs> and you know you'd open up that milk, or you like you pour it in oh, like your oatmeal wow. or whatever. Like Jesus Christ, what the fuck is that smell? That's where this is getting to. The expiration date is fast approaching. You know, these guys are in their thirties now. Yeah, you know, and I know that some people were actually saying that Canelo versus Spence would be a tremendous fight, but I think there's really unfinished business for Errol Spence to jump up. Not saying that, you know what, you know, size, yeah, you know, equally their size and stuff like that, but I just think that Canelo has way better options and bigger historical things to take on than facing Errol Spence, who would be jumping up two-weight to three-weight divisions to face Canelo Alvarez. So I don't really care for the talks about it. I don't want to enter, I mean, I wouldn't really honestly entertain it, but we do do a talk show here on Leaving the Ring. I want to see him, Errol Spence, Talk about Terrence Crawford, if not Terrence Crawford, Virgil Ortiz. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You know, um, or uh, if if not that, the guy I've mentioned a couple times already, your Dennis Ugas. Uh, yeah. I think, 
I don't think anybody wants to face that guy. He's seven. He's the boogeyman. He is the boogeyman. And you get to tell that he's the boogeyman because the fact is that even Porter, Sean Porter, who got a very questionable win over uh, Ugas, he doesn't even bring him up. No, he doesn't no talk about him at all. Man. Nope. He doesn't. He, he hasn't brought him up, you know. And he's got the WBA regular title now for whatever that's worth. And if and Manny Pacquiao uh, retires or doesn't fight soon, He's going to lose his title, and Ugas is going to be elevated. Let me ask you something, though, Dave, a little uh, switch of topics, because a lot of what we talk about here is kind of the crossing the street dilemma in boxing. Hmm. I've, never seen it. I've never seen this before, and I've been watching boxing, like, for decades now. Have you ever seen a broadcast team from one network working on a rival network? Because Brian Kenny, isn't he a Fox Sports analyst? And Katie Abdo, too. I mean, she presents for all of the PBC shows. Then I turn on the zone. Brian Kenny's calling the fights, and Katie Abdo's presenting the, the card. I, I, I've i never seen anything like this. Have you? Honestly, I could tell you, I just didn't pay attention to it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I don't. You know, like, even, like, the commentary... And which I got to say that the zone, man, wow, guys, your guys as commentators are just, and I was actually thinking, I mean, in the beginning, they were actually doing fairly well. And I thought, okay, the chemistry is going to get better. You know, I like Sergio Mora. You know, I thought that he was carrying everything, calling the fights, what we're watching, not getting too much about inserting himself. But Brian Kenny and, and Chris Manning is just like, you guys, you guys need to really pump the brakes. You're making what, what you know, we're trying to listen to something, hopefully, uh, hear what you know the play-by-play of what's going on in front of us, but instead we're hearing some weird bickering between all three of them about who's got more knowledge about something that really, honestly, nobody even cares about. Yeah, you know whether Canelo's a four-weight world champion or not, and uh, there was a lot of talk about that. And um, I mean, the real fuck up on on Saturday night was having Michael Buffer present virtually as if he's some kind of an avatar or like hologram meanwhile while he's presenting david diamante is presenting at the same time in the ring that i've never seen before i've never seen that either (laughs) check out a prophet i thought the mexican dude with the mole oh ray flores (laughs) i saw everybody just banking on you know just just Dunking on Ray Flores, man. We bought that. They were calling it chorizo. On it. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for the guy. I've never met him, but I was like, damn, bro. You know what, though? Uh, if you grew up in a Latino household, <laughs> you you have thick skin. You got to be able to have thick skin. You know? Especially <laughs> from uh, parents and grandparents. Oh, smack. Well, I'll tell you what, Crawford being frozen out from the welterweight division, uh, if he doesn't, if he doesn't do something soon here or force Bob Arum or just break out of that contract or not sign onto the new contract with top rank, I don't know where he's going to go. He will have to be in the mercy of Golden Boy because Golden Boy has a possible new star. And I believe is it going to be a new star in Virgil Ortiz, you know, so they definitely need to do something on that side uh, for Terrence Crawford. 
Well, Terrence Crawford's got to do something for his own career to save it right now because he is being frozen out. Am I wrong about that? No, you're talking about uh, Terrence Crawford being frozen out, and he has been frozen out, but he signed to uh, his re-up contract with Top Rank, and for like two or three years straight, he was chasing like a 40-plus-year-old in Manny Pacquiao, and I never understood that. It's like you're in the prime. You're calling yourself a world champion. Why do you want to re- face off against a semi-retired full-time politician? I realize that, Ching-ching. but right. he's got no reason to fight you. I just think that he, his, his, his trajectory has been very misplaced from re-signing with top rank to chasing a Manny Pacquiao fight. And then what does Manny do? Manny ends up going to the PBC. So that didn't really work out for him. You know, uh, I, you know, he he's he's going to spend the next year not fighting the people we want him to see fight. Well, and, yeah, I think so. You know, and I think I've always had that problem. I think we've all all of us have always had that problem about uh, Terrence Crawford. You know, just like in the way how he didn't bring up anybody else except. Errol Spence Jr., okay, is almost in the freakish way of Gennady Golovkin never bringing up anybody else except Canelo Alvarez, you know? And uh, really quick, uh, let me see. Let me find that comment here. Uh, Raider L.A. Boxing, he hit it right on the nail, man, by saying that Crawford, uh, you know, look, Spence said he wants undisputed. Spence hasn't even proved He's the best in his own division, let alone try and move up and fight Canelo. Crawford is still there waiting. Spence is just clout chasing Canelo. I couldn't agree more with that statement. I I agree with it completely. And it's funny because, you know, I watched uh, Fatal Attraction a few nights ago with Wifey because she hadn't seen it before. Really? And Yeah. <laughs> great movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I follow that up with Disclosure with uh, Demi Moore and Michael Douglas. Also, I like that movie, too. Anyways, you know. I'm glad that you guys watched that. I lived it. I didn't have to watch a movie there, Milcar. My ex was the fatal attraction. <laughs> the point is, it's, it's, it's like, you know, next thing you know, Errol Spence is going to be boiling rabbits that belong to... to, to uh, Canelo and uh, Terrence Crawford is going to be boiling rabbits that belong to uh, to Errol Spence. It's like, guys, forget about the attraction of these other people that you you know, and and focus on the fight we'd like to see. But you know, I, at this point, it's like I I don't even know if I I don't even know if I want to keep talking about this after this episode, Dave. I know, because- really. It's really tiring. I remember, listen, when the whole Mayweather and the whole Mayweather and Pacquiao uh, fiasco was going on, where you know he needs to take the test, or I'm afraid of needles, and blah 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 blah. I'm not going to do fifty fifty, or it has to be a hundred million. All these talks and stuff. I remember we got to the point where we'd call both fighters X and Y. We didn't even mention their names. We would say, well, did you hear what X X fighter said about Y fighter? That's what it's really coming down to. Errol Spence Jr. and uh, Terrence Crawford. They're the, honestly, they're the only ones that are killing the vibe on this fight. They really are destroying this vibe 
2.5 and a half years of us talking about this has marinated. There is a such thing of over-marinating a fight. And whose fault is it in this here now, in this situation of them not stepping in and facing each other? I don't know. I don't know who is to blame, you know? Uh, all I could say is that the, the, the powers to be, you guys got to get together and get these two guys in there while they're still in their prime, not out of their prime. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, uh, like this, you know, you, you remember this one. This don't kill my vibe. This don't kill my vibe. I can feel the energy from two planets away. I got my drink. I got my. I mean, my vibe's getting killed. I can see the whole energy has been drained out of you ever since we brought up this whole conversation conversation of Terrence Crawford and Errol Spencer Jr. Raider LA Boxing, uh, Virgil says he's ready for Thurman and Crawford. I hope so. He should be. But Oscar is not going to want that Crawford fight for Virgil right now, especially since Canelo left and Virgil can be the next star. Thurman, I, I completely agree with that. And I honestly see where they're going at. That's why I don't think they would want to put all their eggs in one basket with that fight. Why? You know, because I also don't think it would drum up the money that they would be hoping to make with Virgil Ortiz at the moment. They got to make him into a star. He's right there. A car, like he's right there. You know, he's ready to be shot up into the sky for the whole world could see what we're seeing. But I don't think right now jumping in with, uh, uh, you know, uh, Terrence Crawford is enough. If people were, if it happened right now, next year, if it happened next year, you have to admit Fans that are not familiar with Virgil Ortiz will look at him as his, just as an opponent, the way they did with, with Andy Ruiz. So, Dave, we haven't talked about our schedule over the holidays, and we'll talk after the show about that. But I think we should just go through some of the scheduled fights uh, yes. between now and New Year, if that's okay. Let's do it, so, man. Uh, Saturday, December the 26th, 8 p.m., all right, 5 p.m. for – West Coast people with that privilege, like David. All right, we've got David Morrell versus Mike Gabronski, and that's going to be taking place uh, in Los Angeles on Fox Sports. I'm actually uh, looking forward to that. That's uh, this Saturday. All right. Uh, then on Thursday, December 31st, you know, it's typical cultural out there in Japan to have the New Year's Eve shows. We've got Kazuto Yoka. <laughs> Versus Kensoe Tanaka. Oh, that's going to be a fight, fellas. And I'm also doing a uh, uh, measuring the fighters on that one. So look for that pretty soon. But uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Anyways, I won't. uh, There's another Tanaka, but I won't ask if he's related to that Tanaka. Um, Yeah. So the problem with that fight, though, David, is that it doesn't have a TV network here in the state. So, it, it doesn't, but I saw, and uh, I'll figure it out, is that I know that you can get it for like two ninety five, so you can watch that fight. Um, oh, that's right. Send yeah. me that link. I'll send and you that link as soon as I get actually, it. He's actually tweeted out, too, uh, so that all the listeners can follow that one, because that's going to be a good fight. It's going to be an, yeah. a really good fight. That's why right. we're holding off on our year's award. I mean, because I want to see that fight first. I mean, you know, you know, happen, and then we could go on and talking about what was the best fight for the whole year. It's unfinished right now. It's on New Year's Eve, so yeah, that's a great gift. And thank you, uh, Japan, for you know keeping that uh, up tradition, just like the Cinco de Mile tradition. They're keeping the New Year's Eve tradition tradition there, Milkar. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, that's going to be a morning fight. 
Um, yes. I believe uh, in New Year's Eve. And, you know, the light flyweights and super flyweights don't typically get much love. And, no. uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be a really good fight uh, to determine, you know, one of the top dogs uh, of the lower weight divisions. I think it's going to be a really good fight. All right. And it's uh, for the World Boxing Organization World Super Flyweight title. So, right. um, you know, it, he's he's going to be, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Kazuto uh, Ioka is going to be defending that. And, you know, these guys out of Japan are always tough. And we saw that with the Nakatani fight the other week um, as an example. And we also saw that in a, in a fight that uh, Distal referenced earlier where, you know, um, the monster in a way fought with a broken orbital bone. Right. Um, you know, and was still laying hands. All right. So uh, Saturday, January the 2nd, we've got a fight that I think a lot of people are looking forward to. And that's going to come from Dallas, Texas. That's obviously the lightweight fight with Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell. Um, right. Crossroads fight. A uh, lot at stake here. Um, because if Luke Campbell loses this one, I think that he's going to be relegated to gatekeeper status. Um, and if Ryan Garcia loses, you know, he's kind of going to have to take a, t- st- uh, st- a couple steps back. Uh, because he- <laughs> Just a couple? Just yeah. a couple steps? <laughs> Probably more than a couple just because of the way he runs his mouth. So I think it uh, takes a big hit, honestly. Or, or- uh, is his Instagram account more no. to the point? Yeah, I think. I, I, let me tell you this. I think it, if he loses this fight, and I've said this, I said this on Saturday night when they were doing their promo, um, you know, about Ryan Garcia, you know, for the lead up to January between him and Luke Campbell. I said if he wins this fight, you got to give the kid the props. I know I do. I would definitely have to give the kids the props because I was pretty hard on him about saying, "Hey, remember when we had a, uh, you know, uh, 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 Roberto Diaz from Golden Boy on?" I keep pressuring them, like, "Why? Why is this not happening? Fight not happening. Let's make this fight happen." So it's now it's happening. So I got to give him that. But if he loses this fight to Luke Campbell, which is a very, you got to admit, is a strong possibility he could lose to Luke Campbell. He hasn't really faced the pedigree of Luke Campbell. Okay, well, he definitely hasn't faced in the pro. Okay, in the pro rankings right now. But I think if he loses this fight, it's a strong possibility it's going to hit his ego so bad that he may disappear for quite some time before we see him back ever in the ring. That's my prediction about that. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, Luke Campbell's no chump, you know? He Luke isn't. Campbell's a, a former world title challenger, is only lost, uh, really, on the biggest of stages. And is a you know olympic champion um very accomplished guy who's just come up a little bit short when he stepped up so i'm i'm looking forward to this fight i think it's going to be very exciting one thing you cannot deny about garcia is that he's electric oh he's got that pizzazz he He does that hand speed is like very very atypical and um special um, He's got every package you want. If you're going to manage somebody or as a promoter to push, yeah. Ryan's got the looks, the explosive. Uh, he's got a mouthpiece on him. And he almost has that freakish kind of Oscar De La Hoya. 
you know, the good old boy, but you, you know, it's just like, it's a bit too much. It's almost like your fingers running across jock when he talks and he, you know, especially when he was like the Bible, I pray. I was like, come on, bro. No mom is way. <laughs> but anyways, I you know, facade. I don't think that's his true, his true identity. No, on the no, I don't think so either. And I think that golden boy did a great job or whoever, Really, honestly, kind of prepared him to be in front of camera, in front of the camera, and just like you know, this is the way you should present yourself. Because either you're just gonna gain. I mean, you know, I think he's selling himself perfect to the ladies that don't watch boxing, which is great. Yeah. Okay, but you know, just that, like a lot of fans don't want to hear religion, ask Andre Ward, <laughs> you know, into their boxing combo or anything like that. Uh, you know, or the goody good boy. I mean, look, Sean Porter came off in the beginning of his career, even like uh, you know, uh, you know, as this good old boy. Didn't want to talk bad about anybody, but I've always said that uh, you know the commentating, broad, being becoming a broadcaster has really got him out of his shell, and it's kind of showed him a, a different way of approaching things, you know. And uh, but I mean, Ryan Garcia, either way, adopting that that good old boy, you know. Uh, Look, he, he he's pretty sneaky with those tweets, man. He knows how to, you know, get underneath some guy's skin. So I, I applaud him. He's kind of he's kind of covered all bases in that. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. And I think it would be great for the kid's career if he could get this win. I think it would be devastating to Campbell. And uh, vice versa is also true. It, right? It's one of these fights where a lot is on the line. And it's going to bring out the dog in both guys, I think. Absolutely. We still got one more show, which is next week. We'll be back here on Monday. Uh, we're definitely going to give our breakdown of the uh, flyweight fight that's happening on New Year's Eve. So don't miss out on that. We're still going to have a lot of topics to talk about. That's one of the main uh, things that were asked on the Leaving the Ring. And we're going to do our year's award after New Year's Day. Okay. So yeah. uh, look for us then. Um, like I said, a lot of stuff to talk about. Always enjoyed coming on here. Thanks for everybody that came on. Don't forget to hit that like button and hit the notification bell so that you know when we're on live. Also, subscribe to us. And don't forget, we're on Pandora. And you want to tune into that and get Pandora and and subscribe to us on there because you'll get the whole rotation of all the podcasts that are presented on the rotation of leaving the ring. Uh, Amukar, I think we're all talked out here, man. I don't know about you. Any final words about anything that we uh, talked about today? No, just wishing everyone that celebrates Christmas. Uh, I personally call it Xmas. I have the accent on the A. Um, that's my uh, secular version. Uh, I wish everybody that celebrates Christmas a Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, Hanukkah, you know, happy Hanukkah if you celebrate that. Uh, happy holidays for everybody else. And uh, it's really a pleasure to be able to get on here with you, Dave, and, you know, connect with our our brothers and sisters outside that, uh, you know, are in the boxing fandom sphere and, you know, get to share our thoughts and get to chop it up with them. <clears throat> Absolutely. One of, the best parts of my 2020, and I'm looking forward to being one of the best parts of my 2021. Ooh, I was going to say that as well, man. As much what's going on in the COVID era of 2020 and everything else that's been kind of weird, okay, going all the way up from politics all the way down to what we're seeing, especially in our country at this moment, 
Um, just being able to come on here and talk boxing with everybody and, you know, share our thoughts and predictions and, you know, all of that has been truly, truly great and blessing. I just want to say this really quick, man, before we go off the air here about the happy, happy holidays here. Uh, don't forget, there are people that are struggling right now. Uh, you know, uh, we have families that are struggling. We have good friends that are struggling, you know. Um, so just be aware of that and, uh, and encounter blessings, man. We are a blessed here, uh, especially if you're able to tune in and we're able to really just kind of get our minds away of what's going around in our surroundings and talk about boxing. You know, this is an outlet for each and every one of us that come through on leaving the ring. And our listeners, you wouldn't have made a lot of this stuff possible. I don't even know how many years I'm going on right now on Talking Boxing on YouTube, on podcasts, and on all the platforms that we're on. But I got to say this. It's been the greatest gift. Amokar, thanks for reviving me. Uh, D-Style, uh, G-Funk, uh, Raw Boxing, who's got a show coming up right after us. Go to his channel, check it out. And all of our listeners, man, that, uh, you know, Ringside Reporter, uh, man, you know, so many. Oh, uh, Day 408, uh, Brian Fogg. Yeah, all these guys, man. Um, thank you for reviving me, man, um, and, and keeping me here. Guys, again, next week, enjoy the weekend. I mean, enjoy the rest of this uh, week with your family on Christmas Day. I hope you guys get the gift that you guys were all looking for. All right, take care, guys. Don't drink and drive. Hashtag force the vote. Hashtag force the vote. I'll end it on that. Let's get everybody health care. There you go. Yep. We definitely need that health care, man. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Caballeros. <laughs> <laughs>